0: Hello everyone, I'm Joel Van Hoogen and this is the Bread of Life. This program is brought to you by Church Partnership Evangelism. To learn more about our reach around the world, go to traincpe.org and to learn about our Mission Fellowship in Boise, go to breadoflifeboise.org. Now, if you have your Bibles, take it up as we feast on God's Word. In Psalm 57, David is hiding in a cave. He's being pursued by enemies on every side. He feels surrounded by vengeful and violent men who, like lions, are ready to sink their teeth into him. I doubt you can relate. Few of us have ever been fugitives of some vengeful king who is seeking to destroy us. And yet all of us have felt at some point or other banished to some cave, in hiding from some wave of disappointment or destruction. Listen in. David in that cave found a reason for trust and a reason for determined exaltation in God. What he found you must find also. Maybe you can then identify a little bit with what David is saying. Maybe you can. But even if you can't identify with what David is experiencing and the conclusions that David is drawing because of the encounters he's had with those that he's trusted in and looked to and the treachery that's all around him, think of it this way. If David could come through this experience and this hardship and produce the prayer and song that he produces in this psalms, this song, then you should learn how David got there, what David learned, what David experienced, because maybe you can't relate to him because you've experienced nothing like this. You've experienced something that's far less treacherous than this in your life, but, well, whatever David found then will be a solution for you. God reached down to the depth of his trials in order to show us an answer for every trial that we might go through. So let's consider what David did. What is it that David did that gave him this confident trust? What is it that David did that set within this, in his heart this resolve to praise God even when he was in the cave, even in the midst of the trial? A clue for you, it's found in 1 Samuel chapter 30 of what David did. It's a different story altogether, but it's the story from David's life as well. He and his men have been forced to settle in the area of Ziklag, which is a Philistine city. He has, in a sense, as a mercenary, gone out and carried out some battles for the king of the Philistines in order that he might be able to remain with his soldiers and with their families and with his wives in the city of Ziklag. David has gone out to fight with the Philistine king, but the other soldiers in the Philistine army are not willing to fight with David because they don't trust him. And so David has to move back to Ziklag, where he's at, but when he comes back to Ziklag, he discovers that the Amalekites have, while he and his soldiers have been gone, come to the city, burned it to the ground, and have taken away all of their wives and children, including two of David's wives and children. And the soldiers that are with him are so distraught and so upset that David has somehow not anticipated this potential aggression that they discuss stoning David and putting him to death. So David has lost his wives. He's lost his children along with these other individuals. He's let his soldiers down. They're talking about stoning him. First Samuel chapter 30, verse 6 tells us how David responded. It says, David was greatly distressed. This is all a part of the storm that he was going through. For the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. There's your clue. Here's how David is going to come to this wonderful song in the midst of his lament. David is going to encourage himself in the Lord his God. In this text where he has been chased into a cave, where the hurricane-force storm is blowing down upon his own spirit, where he feels the hot breath of his pursuers, where he's surrounded by the gnashing teeth of those who would make him his prey, in that cave, David is encourages himself in the Lord his God. He takes heart as to the attributes of God and lays claim to them as if they were his own personal provision. And this God, as he contemplates him in all of his life to him, this God becomes a compensation for the anxiety that is being produced in him because of his surrounding and because of his circumstance. And it fosters within him confidence and trust. And it fosters in him a commitment, a determination in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the trial, that he's going to praise God, that he's going to praise him. Let's spend our time this morning considering the things that he saw in God and how he comforted himself. We won't be able to do this an exhaustive investigation, but some of the things that David saw in God that encouraged him. And the first one is this, will we please note that he calls upon God's mercy he calls upon a God who is merciful. He says, have mercy on me. He doesn't say it once, he says it twice. Have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me. If it's good to say once, it's good to say twice. God, have mercy on me. And what David is asking for is he's asking for that which is in God that gives us what we don't deserve and withholds from us what we do deserve. He's praying that God would grant him deliverance from the storm and what he's saying is, God, I don't deserve to have this storm pass through my life. I deserve to be swept away in this hurricane, but be merciful to me. Though these men are unjustly pursuing him, though David may be innocent of any treachery against, for example, King Saul, and he's innocent, still David knows that justice is not for him but against him in the eyes of a holy, just God. And so on this occasion, David is not rehearsing his innocence. He is recognizing that he deserves, in a sense, what he's getting, even though it may not be for the right reasons in the eyes of the men who are persecuting him and distressing him. And so he turns to God and he says, God, have mercy on me. God, you know the justice you hold against me, and I know it too. God, you know my sins and my failings. David knows that because of his own sin, he has no right to expect anything but this storm. But David cries out to God that God would mercifully keep him through that storm. It's an interesting thing. Usually, when we're hit by hard times and when things turn against us, and particularly when something happens to us that we don't think we deserve, our immediate response is basically that I didn't. What, what did I do to deserve this? What in the world did I say? What was my attitude? What, look, do you not know how my lips drop honey about you all the time, and yet you're speaking to me in this way and acting this way? And do you know not that only in my heart there's always just purity and longing and solicitous ideas of what I want God to do for you, and now you're treating me like that? What did I do? Or whatever it is. You know, you go through financial situations. You say, Lord, have you not been paying attention to the fact that I've been tithing for the last three years here, and what did I do? It's just an instinct that rises within us. We feel the unfairness when the earth turns against us. But it's not the right response. None of us, listen to me, none of us have ever got fully what we deserve. Not one of us. God has always been, up to this point, completely and utterly Merciful to you. Regardless of whatever storm you've gone through, whatever storm is blowing in on you hotly down your neck at this very moment, God is being merciful to you and always has been. One of the things that I would suggest to a person is never ask the question, What could be worse? At least don't ask with the idea that you want to know the answer. There's all kinds of things that could be worse. God is merciful to us. David is saying this God, don't give me what I deserve. God, he's saying, continue to pity me. Keep me from what I deserve. Give me what I don't deserve. God, rescue me. God, have mercy on me. Even from this thing that I didn't provoke. I didn't go after. These men have the wrong reasons for pursuing me. But God, still, you know I deserve worse. God, have mercy on me. What I find interesting in what David says here is that he gives a basis for his plea for mercy. Look at this. He says, have mercy on me, have mercy on me, for I trust in you. Now, there's a little bit of a problem with this. God, have mercy on me, for I trust in you, because my understanding of mercy is that it's God withholds from us what we deserve. He doesn't give to us what we deserve, which is punishment and destruction. And mercy is akin to grace where God gives to us what we don't deserve, We deserve punishment and destruction, but instead God gives us protection and blessing and He preserves us and He keeps us and He blesses us. And in both cases, mercy and grace are utterly and completely unmerited. And so the problem with this is that David is pleading for mercy on the merits of his trust in God. And that kind of, in a sense, contradicts the idea of mercy and grace. You can't ask God for mercy. You can't ask God for grace and point to yourself for some reason why God ought to give it to you. God, you should be obliged to give me. No, there's no obligation in mercy and grace. It's completely and utterly unmerited. You can't say something like, God, have mercy on me, because, you know, just yesterday I let a, I let a lady cut in the line in front of me at the post office. God. Please help this light to change because I've got to get to this meeting and I'm, I'm late and Lord, help me because if I don't get there in time, my check is going to bounce and, and just a little while ago, you know, I've let people get in front of me and tra- God, be merciful to me. You can't barter with God that way. God, be merciful to me because I've often felt compassion for those who are less fortunate myself. So be merciful to me. God, have mercy on me because God, you know, I'm a good person most of the time. God, be merciful to me. These two things don't go together in a prayer. You can't give God a reason for being merciful to you, except for one reason. When we turn to trust in God, and we turn from all of our own resources, and all of our own efforts, and all of our attempts to please and satisfy ourselves, or to deliver ourselves, when we turn from trusting ourselves, and we cast ourselves completely upon God, we reach the point where God has always been trying to bring us. God is always trying to bring us to the place of complete and utter surrender and trust in Him. That's what He wants. For us to just collapse upon Him and say, God, you are only my answer. Now, that's God's aim. That's God's design. That's where His mercy and His grace even seek to bring us. Mercifully, sometimes allowing us to experience the pains of our sins to drive us to that point mercifully sometimes pouring goodness on us to bless us, to awaken us to His presence, withholding blessings at other time to awaken us to our need, mercifully drawing us to a place where we become submerged in Him, trusting in Him alone. And so, folks, here is the one basis upon which you can cry out to God for mercy and grace, and God is compelled to respond in mercy and in grace. Because I'm completely trusting in you. I'm not claiming any merit of my own. I'm not claiming any innocence on my own part. I'm not claiming that somehow, God, you owe me. Cosmically, somehow, this world needs to give me what I deserve. No, God. I'm throwing myself completely on you. And trusting in you. God have mercy on me. God have mercy on me. God can't help but respond to that basis for the plea. It's what He's designed and what He's desired all along. And mercy and grace come flooding in. It's what the hymn writer wrote. Not the labor of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know, could my f- tears forever flow, all could never sin erase. Thou must save and save by grace. Nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I'll die. Mercifully, God responds on that basis. Well, thanks for joining us today at the Bread of Life. For a copy of this message, just go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. And to learn more about our ministry around the world, go to traincpe.org. Until the next time, may the Lord bless you.